Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me again. Welcome back. Today's topic, Krypton Season 2. The untold story of Superman's grandfather as he fights for justice on his home planet. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. We can start with a recap of Season 1. Mm-hmm. I did an episode about the pilot only, but I didn't really get into the rest of the season. Where does it sit for you? Did you enjoy that first season? I did because it really took me by surprise. And much like season two, the writing on it is just really strong. It's, it's just, um, it twist, has twists and turns. And I think the reason for that is because David Goyer is involved. And um, he obviously was a writer and an exec producer on a show called Da Vinci's Demons. And he brings those same sensibilities to Krypton, and that is very evident throughout season one and, of course, season two. And keeping it Superman related, he also worked on Man of Steel. The first, what, 20 minutes of that movie is on Krypton. Yeah. It's more alien than we'd ever seen before. There's flying dragons. As we alluded to in our podcast on the Man of Steel, uh, it's it's the most of Krypton we've ever seen, and it's, it's great that it gets fully fleshed out and fully explored. And when the show was first announced, it was teased, or I guess maybe people were hoping or thinking it was going to be connected to the DC films. It ended up being its own entity. But it's it still does feel like it is connected to those movies. Even when you see the design of the S, Absolutely. it looks like the movie. Absolutely. And it really speaks to... Um you know, uh, Cal L's great great grandparents. You know, uh, we're going past Jor-El here, and we're going back to Seg L, and, and and so on. So we're talking about the we're talking about Krypton way earlier before the events of its its demise and explosion. We're going even further. Valel, yeah, like another character That's from it. the family of L. That would make him Superman's great 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 grandfather. What were your honest thoughts when the show was announced? A Superman TV series where the main character is Superman's grandfather. I think I was it was for me it was a mix of healthy skepticism and nervous excitement and anticipation because I really do want to see Krypton get fully explored and fleshed out and I thought well they did such a good job with Man of Steel as we've said that the thought of them doing that on a weekly TV show is tantalizing but I was uh, also kind of nervous because I thought well this has the potential to really suck you know but, uh, and, and not do so well or not really live up to what we saw in Man of Steel. But uh, I was surprised. It was a great reveal watching season one and you found out the character that had been having a big presence already on the show was actually General Drew Zod. Yeah, that was amazing. I think that was one of the best parts of season one. Um, aside from Brainiac, I thought Brainiac was really well done. But um, Zod, Drew Zod on the show, the way that it, they re- reveal, reveal him was incredible like just you did not see that coming and that's speaks to what david goya does with his writing i love terence stamp as general zod like superman 2 i grew up watching that movie so much as a kid yeah but when colin salmon as zod says kneel before zod you knew you believed i it. completely bought that line and for me the best delivery ever of that line did you lose your crap when you i really did i mean it was incredible and the cliffhanger of season one because we've got a ticking clock in the form of superman's cape 
throughout yeah. that first season. Zod isn't the only time traveller. We've also got Adam Strange. That's correct. And I love that he's featured that they've gone for a more obscure cosmic hero yep. that hasn't been in live action before. Mm, and it was great. So he's the one that's saying that we need to save Superman. And then you've got Segel that's like, no, I need to save my planet. So I, I just love that struggle. But throughout mm. the whole season, the cape is fading away. Yeah, it's whittling away. And the finale, the S becomes the Zod symbol. Yes, that's right, the House of Zod. And it just blew my mind because you've got Segel, who's in a relationship with Lighter Zod, who is the mother of Zod. But again, there's time travel involved. And you just left with that finale and you're like, what did just happen? It's almost like Colin Salmon, like it's good that you brought him up because he bridges that role so well for us both because you love the stamp iteration. I love the Michael Shannon iteration of General Zod. And I feel like Colin Salmon does a brilliant job of encompassing both those personas and just making it work as a whole, as a rounded whole. Honestly, the the guy has so much presence. I first saw him in Arrow. Mm. He played Oliver Queen's That's right. I do remember that. And he's always got, it's his eyes, he's always got a level of intensity, even though in Arrow he was playing a softer character. Mm. But when you see him and he's stored in his Kryptonian robes, Mm. and he's got the big beard in season two, and it's just, he looks like a maniac. His eyes are so wide. You believe that he's a general willing to stage a coup and overthrow his planet's military might. And um, it's almost as if uh, he... It's almost as if season two is almost like an origin of Zod as such. It's almost as if season two, the way it's laid out, shows you how Zod came to be, Drew Zod came to be as ruthless um, as, as, as he's portrayed in the comics. One of my favourite things about this show is that I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. It was just very unpredictable. If you're watching a Superman movie, a Superman TV series... You've got a pretty good idea what's going to happen. Yeah. But with this series, because it's you know, it's territory that's never been discovered on screen before outside mm-hmm. of the opening of Man of Steel. Yeah. One thing that we should probably mention about season one, um, and it's pretty obvious, a pretty apparent brainiac that was so well done. Blake Ritson just chews up every bit of screen time he gets as as Brainiac. He is a fantastic actor and he is a former Da Vinci's Demons alumni that was brought across, obviously, to play the role. And he just nails it. He's such a Shakespearean actor. And we can really get into talking about him in season two because he really does some amazing things in season two. The design of Brainiac is incredible. Oh, yeah. The... It looks like you could put it in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what we're seeing on this TV show, you can catch... I mean, this this was made by Sci-Fi Channel. Mm. Sharknado, you know, they, yeah. they make these cheap Crappy. movies. Yeah. And unfortunately, they don't always go all the way with their seasons. But they nailed it with this. The cancellation of Deadly Class, mm. the cancellation, what was the other one, of Happy, the Grant Morrison That's right. TV show. That's such a shame. I don't and know why these properties get cancelled. We on. will talk about like it that. more we'll towards the end it. of the podcast, but Krypton Season 2 will be the last season unless it can get picked up elsewhere. Maybe... DC Universe, you know, I mean, DC's got their own streaming service, but who knows? So before we get into more of the characters, I'll just give a plot for the second season. Six months after the events of the Phantom Zone, Druzod has taken over all of Krypton, but for a single moon, Wegthor. With Valel and Jaxa building resistance, Lighter Zod trying to crush it, 
Segel lost and Adam Strange trying to find him and finally Jaina Zod off in the Outlands. The second season follows the splintered group as they try to come together. So that first season, the finale, it had such a big impact on everybody. Yeah. So coming into season two, you're like, what is this season even going to be? And then, I mean, Lobo, that was as cool. well as having Adam Strange, having mix. Yeah. other characters, Black Mercy makes an appearance. There is just so much cosmic DC happening in this show. There's so much to get into and talk about. I love it. Me too. Well, let's start with Cameron Cuff then. He is Segel. He is the show's lead. He nails it. Um, I thought it was great that he started the season looking really scruffy with the grown out hair, the beard and everything. It just, it looked really cool. Um, he's stuck on the on the, on the world of Kalu with Adam Strange and that's where they encountered Lobo. Because that was the thing. He was, yeah, he was believed dead. So at the mm. end of season one, but he was actually in the Phantom Zone. That's right. And it's because of Brainiac that he was able to escape. To escape. But that first season, clean shaven. When mm. he's being possessed or inhabited Let's by Brainiac, beard. Mm-hmm. When he gets rid of Brainiac and he's a good guy again, back to clean shaven. Yeah. So I like how visually they made that really obvious for the audience. Yeah. He's had, had a shave, now he's a good guy they again. They had to, it was a visual cue. But this actor, he... He's got something, doesn't he? He's he got... does. But he's a big Superman fan, a big DC Comics fan. And we often get really good performances, actors in these projects. But often, they're not familiar with the source material, where mm. this guy... He is. Like, he has just reveled in every moment across these two seasons. Like, he was on the um, Fat Man Beyond podcast with Kevin Smith, and, like, and, and he's pitching it to... To Kevin, who had not watched that first season, and he's saying, what you need to realise about our show, what we're doing is making an Elseworlds TV series. And that's exactly right. Mm. So it's not the story you know, and if you can just let go of what you know to be the history of Superman and Krypton, yep. and just go with it, it's, it's such a fun ride. It's a, it really is. You just took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say that. But Cameron Cuff, in the first season, he made a point of using the the wink, like the Superman wink that George Reeves used to use quite often in the old black and white TV series. Right. In season two, when he's fighting on Kalu, mm-hmm. he he does the lock and load arms move that Henry Cavill did in the latest Mission Impossible movie. Nice. You know where he reloads his arms yeah. before he gets into a fight? Yeah. He did that. And did you pick up, there's an episode where Segel, he goes to confront Zod for the first time since escaping the Phantom Zone. And he says something along the lines of, excuse me, General, care to step outside? That's Superman right. too. That so was he was means. going out of his way to like to, to honour what had come in the past. I really like him in this. And That's he's cool. so good. And it's... It's disappointing for everyone involved with this project knowing that the show's cancelled. Oh yeah, that's a heartbreaker. But him especially, like he's on a DC show, he's the lead. That's got to be awesome. I think that what upsets me most about this is such a great cast. Everyone is bringing it. Everyone's on top of their uh, on their on their game, their A game, whatever you want to call it. And just knowing that this thing's not going to be anymore, they're all going to go away and find different jobs. And it's a cast that you don't want to break up and dissolve. You want them to be together because they feel like a family. It was a last-minute decision for me to watch this on a Friday night, the finale. And I'd had it ready for a couple of days. All lined up to watch, and then I just not got around to it, and then I finally watched it on the Friday night, 
and it was the Saturday morning, I woke up to the news of the cancellation. Mm. So I at least got to enjoy that finale where it's setting things up and it's like, are these parademons? Are these hawk people? Like, yeah. what's going on? That last scene where you see them flying over. So, exactly, yeah, with um, uh, Nissa. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Wallace Day and Nissa, and she's looking up, and yeah, you think, oh, what... Yeah, what, what will season three the, bring? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's tantalising and now it's not going to be and it's just a, it's upsetting. And I wanted to do an episode all about Krypton season two anyway. Like we talked about this, mm. I think before the show mm. even started airing its second season, but even more so, now it's been cancelled. Just to, you know, I know that you enjoy the show as much as I do. So I yep. was wanting to get together and be able to speak positive about it. Mm. Adam Strange, we've mentioned him already. He's played by Sean Sipos. He's a human from the future who forewarns Segel of Brainiac and tells him of his yet-to-be-born grandson, Kal-El, also known as Superman. So that was his big drive in that first season. But then in the second season, the Mets. Yeah. And you really buy you that buy, relationship. You buy into it. Like, it was an annoyance to Segel in that first season. And then they just to respect Mets. him. Because they're both stranded together. And that all they have. I think. Yeah, I think another talking point in terms of Adam Strange's development in season two is that the Kandorians, the um, the Kryptonians, come to really respect him by the end of the season, and it's almost like as if they count him as one of their own. Well, it's a, it's a bit of a joke mm. to begin with in that first season. It really is, and they really develop the character, and that's why when you get to that finale, I know we're jumping all over the place here. Yeah, but we, we get to the finale, and he's wearing the red jumpsuit. They're giving him a jetpack. You're like, holy crap. And they're all drunk. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. That but it's like, he's always been Adam Strange because that just happens to be his, the name he was born with. Yeah. But when they put him in the red jumpsuit, that's when he it's kind of... like, wow, he looks just like he did on the page. Oh, that's amazing. They, they were very faithful to the... We'll get into that with the designs, but they were very faithful to the comics with uh, a lot of comics accuracy with the designs. And Agbomo, she plays... Jaina Zod, a very different character in the second season to the first. Both seasons, I really liked her, but they really took her character in a different direction in season two. Yeah. And there's that moment with her and her brother, and you're like, whoa, hang on. Wait a minute. <laughs> what is happening what's, here? What's going on here? And they were separated mm. as children. Uh, it was like a fight to the death, and she left him in the Outlands, or I can't remember what it was called. Or something. And then... All these years later, they're reunited, and you mm. find out when nobody's watching, they're a little too friendly for siblings. Yep, and you go, wait a minute, something's not right here. The story running through season two is that Lyta is now evil, essentially. Yeah. Like, she's under the influence of Zod, of Zod, and we later find out it's because she was cloned, Black Mercy is involved. Yeah. But just like... The House of El and Segel's friends are mourning his loss. You've got Jaina, who's mourning the loss of her daughter. Mm. So when they are reunited, I think they played that yeah, really, really well. well. I think the big confusing thing for me, or the big strange thing for me, is that you have a Zod and an El coming together, getting married and having a kid, uh, which obviously turns out to be Jor-El? Yes. Jor-El. It, yeah. He had a different name to begin with, but then... Because he was going to be from the House of Vex. Mm. And then Nissa wanted their son to be an L. Yeah. Because when the show first started, like season one, like the L name was in the dirt. Yeah. And then it got brought Elevated, back. Yeah, up. exactly right. But yeah, that's, that's something that you probably don't really see reference in the comics more often. I don't even think it's proper canon that, that Zod's and L's. Oh, never. 
Yeah, so it's very strange in this show that they decided to go that route to go, hey, let's make the Zods and the Elves get together, and that's how Jor-El comes to be. So when you're watching it, and then obviously you're going to have, like, Zod would be born after Jor-El, mm. but they are siblings, which means General Zod, his Superman's uncle, in this show's continuity. Yeah. Which, again, like, this show is doing different things yeah. with... But he's, as, and as you alluded to earlier, he time-traveled in season one, so he's seen the destruction of, of, of Krypton. He knows what's coming. So he has full knowledge of the of the, de- of the events that will unfold in the future, the distant future. So that's probably his whole f- modus operandi, his MO, is to come back in season two and make sure that, that destruction does not happen. It's what makes Zod such an interesting character. No true villain believes themselves to be the, the bad villain. guy. Like yeah. Every villain is the hero in they their believe, story. They believe their cause is just, and that's something that Michael Shannon really did do a wonderful job of with The Man of Steel. And Colin Salmon seems to really take that direction and run with it. So you've got people trying to stop Zod. And what he's saying, if you don't let me do what I need to do, you will all die. Yeah. He says, I can't be held responsible. But then he does have a massive ego. Oh, yeah. He's, it's, he's, a, me- it he's well. a megalomaniac. He's, so he's it's ego, like, egomaniacal. He does want to save Krypton, but he wants to be the one that does it. Mm, so he can get the, the plaudits and the uh, accolades. I've mentioned Lighter Zod a couple of times already. She's played by Georgina Campbell. Mm-hmm. I really like her in this. She does a good job. Most Kryptonians are English. The show was shot in Ireland, primarily. Wow. I think maybe... I think Maybe not the pilot, but the rest of the two seasons. Didn't know that. I thought it was, thought it was Canadian. Ireland. No, it's in. Maybe the, maybe that's where they did the pilot, but it's primarily Ireland. Complete second season. But if you notice in the end credits, it does say uh, Film Canada or something like that. They reference so maybe they maybe it was co-financed. Yeah, provided funding or something. But if you look at a lot of the guest stars and. Other people working on the project, right. they all sound English. very Irish. Yeah. They sound very Irish. Like Lobo, especially. Oh, well, I mean, let's let's talk Lobo then. Yeah. With, with Kryptonians, what they've done is, okay, so they're English. They're going to have English accents. Mm-hmm. And Lobo, although he's the last of his race, so we only ever see him, they're going to sound Irish. Zanians. In comes the main man, and he's Irish as hell. And he's played by Emmett J. Scanlon. Mm-hmm. Visually, they nailed Lobo. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad they used this classic version and not the new 52 yeah. Pretty Boy version. Yeah. So he looks just like Lobo. He... And then he talks, and wow. They didn't just cast an Irish actor. They cast an Irish actor that sounds so Irish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But even visually, he looks exactly like him. Even that sneer, that kind of sneer he does that exposes his teeth with the upper lip, That he got that down. The episode where he wants to get in with uh, Adam Strange, who is trapped behind a force field, and his arm gets cut off as he's chasing him. So he can regenerate. And then he blows his own head off, and he regenerates from his arm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, wow. It's nuts. It's nuts. I always thought I haven't that seen that before. I'm not trying to like to, uh, to poo-poo at Lobo here or speak ill of him, because I think he's a great character. But I always felt like he was just DC's answer to Wolverine. He was, he's like a poor man's Wolverine, you know, like he's sort of bad, he's a badass with a badass attitude and he can regenerate and heal and stuff. And it just feels like DC, like, we need a character like Wolverine. Let's make Lobo. I mean, I can see how the origin, yeah, I mean, it is extremely similar, but then... And also with a bit of Deadpool mixed in yeah, with, okay, with, with yeah. his sort of sick, twisted humour. I mean, he's probably even more Deadpool than Wolverine, but I think you're right. I mean, when they're looking at creating the character back in 
would have been the 80s, wouldn't it? Yeah. We've, we've well, he's got over. Wolverine's badassery, but he's got Deadpool's twistedness, and I think it just it just works. It's DC's kind of attempt at, at making that happen, and, and it works. But then Deadpool, Wolverine, they've both got the healing factor. Yeah. But I, yeah, I completely... You can I see how, how I'd come to that conclusion. Corvex, that was the name of Jor-El before they gave him the name, uh, Jor-El. Of course. I've already talked about Wallace Day's Nisabex. A big thing for her in season one, at least, was the, the conflict with her dad, Davin. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't last too long in, in season two. How about Val L, the grandfather? Yeah, actor Ian McHenry. Game of Thrones, I think, was one of his bigger shows. And on the back of that, he was in Krypton. So you can see how he could go from one to the other. And in that first season, he he's not dead. He's been banished to the Phantom Zone. And then season two is brought back. So right. you get two versions of Valel in the second season. Yes, because the when Yes, they, they use the hologram when they go back to the fortress. In the fortress of solitude, yes. But then at the same time, the real Valel is alive and kicking. That threw me for a loop because in the, in the pilot or, or the second episode of season one, um, it's one of those two episodes, he is sort of is seen to walk the plank as it were and he falls down into space and you believe me, he, he died because he just fell into this endless vacuum or void of space. And I didn't realize at the time that that was actually the Phantom Zone. And that's the thing, isn't it? Again, like with this show doing so many things different. Mm. The comics that we know and, and the history, Jor-El is the one that created the Phantom Zone. Yes. Or at least the Phantom Zone projector to access mm. that place. Correct. But in this show, it already exists. It's, yeah, it's like a, a fully realized realm. And I think it's, it's almost as if... The, the city of Candor, outside its protected sort of um, force field borders, that must be all Phantom Zone. So it's almost as if the Phantom Zone swirls around the outskirts of Candor, and to leave Candor is to be cast into the Phantom Zone. That's the vibe I got. I don't know how it works, but yeah, that sounds really that sounds about strange I physics. Mean, that works. That works. Yeah. Jack Sir, a gender swapped role. He'd always been a bloke. Always and in the comic, the, the cartoon, and it's actress Hannah Waddingham. She's actually pretty good as Jaxa. Um, I really like her, but then, you know, I was saying before how with Brainiac, you know, the costume design mm. and everything just looks so good, and the look of the costumes yeah. with Zod, her eye thing never looks good. No. <laughs> it just, know, it looks like a toy. Do you know what she actually reminded me a lot of throughout the course of the show with her eye? Total recall. Something about her look. Just looks like she could belong on Total Recall on Mars. Or on a sci-fi channel show. Yes. It's just, it's just, I don't know, there's something about it. I just Every time I looked at her, I was like, where's Arnie? Arnie should just be walking past any minute now. You can often see where they've spent the money. But to their credit, though, you know, when they go to, you know, the, the rich Kryptonians live at the top. And then down below, and you've got Segel's friend, Kem, where he had the bar in Kem, season right. one. Becomes a Sagittarius in season two. That's right, but their their sets, everything was built. They built that marketplace. Yeah. So you, so you can see they've put money into practical effects on it. Yeah. You know you you can see that. And but some then, of the visual effects too. That yeah, but then it's like you can watch it and then okay, I can see they spent mm. money on that. I, they I, didn't spend money on that. Yeah. When we get into talking about that, actually. Um, well, I'll just quickly allude to it now, but we can discuss it more in detail as we get to it. But I feel like their money went into the budget, the special effects, but, um, um, you know, sort of the, the budget went into the special effects of the show rather than the sets, because to me, the sets look crap, um, whereas the special effects are on point. But the sets 
I quite liked the sets. I think it had a charm to it. It reminded me of like Star Trek The Next Generation, Stargate SG-1, you know, where they go to an alien world mm. and it looks like Earth mm. and they put like a marketplace together. Yeah, in some there respects. There was a certain quality to it, but it did have a 90s feel. Mm. But then you're right, when it when it got to the CGI and characters like Doomsday, yeah. like you've seen Doomsday do things in this, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's better than what we've got in Batman v oh, Superman. Oh, absolutely. That scene where um, they're on the moon, Wegthor, Weg- that Seg, uh, that... Zod is trying to mine. Um, the underground bunker that they're in with all the, the holes in the roof and the light comes streaming in, they, that just, to me, it didn't sell it. It just looked a bit piss poor. That was, a, that was a set, and you can tell they just put lights in the holes, and it wasn't, you know, like light, it wasn't natural light coming in from the moon's surface. It just felt like they were in a dark room with lights. That's probably, that's what it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. Some of it's a bit tacky. I, 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 yeah, I can see it. I understand I exactly what you're talking about. Mm. I guess I could just. I was able to just go with it and just, yeah. like, you know. Sometimes like, my mind goes there. I'm like, eh, yeah, that's a set. But other times, you, you, the sets look quite convincing. You're like, okay, I forget they're actually acting, acting in a set. It looks pretty cool. Well, as a character, let's just talk a little bit about Doomsday. I mean, there's levels of violence in this. Like when you've oh, got one of the got brutal. the soldiers and his head gets his head's like on the ground and you look in his face. Splat. And yeah, Doomsday with his fish just splats, just caves this guy's head in. Mm. And oh wow. That sequence where you see the origin of Doomsday and you see that, that soldier who nominates himself for the um the, the program um to become Doomsday and he's just horribly tortured and he's basically just barbecued. That was so brutally viscerally violent and horrible to look at that I actually had to fast forward a little bit and get past it. I was like, oh, man, I can't watch this. We've never known that before because there's been some stories that Doomsday did originate on Krypton. Mm. There's some stories that is this unstoppable beast from another world. Mm. If you look at Batman v Superman, it was a genetic experiment. From Zod's DNA. But I like I like this one, and you're right. It was completely tragic. This guy did volunteer. He needed to have a particular genetic makeup to basically be tortured. But what I found really interesting about that, there's two science officers. One was a descendant of L. One a descendant of Zod, and it was Zod's descendant that wasn't comfortable and wanted to pull back and stop it. And mm. it was Superman's descendant that was pushing it and was yeah. showing no mercy. Although it was highlighted very clearly that neither one of these scientists wanted to do it. Mm. They felt there was a need to do it mm. because... That's an interesting reversal. It, yeah, I, I really liked that dynamic. And that's, again, David Goyer's writing. He likes to just throw curveballs at you. But I don't know how involved he actually was He's, in the day-to-day, though. No, he was an exec producer, but... Um, because like, he wasn't the showrunner. Cameron Welsh was a showrunner. So you got to think that a uh, lot of things that we're going to credit in this show would have come from Higher from up. Welsh. Mm. Goya may... I mean, we'd need to look into it, but maybe he... On the back of Man of Steel, maybe he would have... And obviously the, the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was instrumental in getting the project off the ground in the first place, whether we put money into it, I'm not sure. He probably has a, just a lot of knowledge on the on uh, on the law and the mythology and, and probably served as a consultant for that. But I'd say if you're going to credit someone with a show, it, it would be the Chauvener. Like they're going to be doing the day-to-day, overseeing the seasons. Correct. Brainiac, we've talked about already. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I remember years ago when they were, they'd made Superman 2 with Christopher Reeve and they were talking about Superman 3. It ended up being something very different with this sentient computer. Mm. But originally, in the 80s, Richard Donner was looking to do Brainiac. Yeah. And they had to change it and... 
I don't know how Brainiac would have looked visually in that, but this version is comics accurate. Is my favorite because what they've done is it's the Silver Age design that Gary Frank used in his Superman run with Jeff Johns. Yep, correct. And for me, it and even now, uh, Francis Monopole in the in the current Justice Scott League. Snyder, yeah, Justice League book, yeah, he's still using that design because it is just Brilliant. perfection. It works. I love like the black outfit, the purple lines. All the ports on his head. And I was reading an interview with Blake Ritson that plays Brainiac, and he was saying that his first time walking on set and a lot of the cast and crew was seeing him for the first time, and they were generally shocked and taken aback by his appearance. Yeah. And he's like, we've nailed it. Yeah. Like, th- this is the right look. Like, the response that people got when he walked on set is the response that they'd want from a character exactly, with polarizing. the presence that he has and just, again, like, visually. Because in the first season, it's a gradual transformation. When he when he He's, he's sort of human-looking as season one goes along, but he becomes more and more corrupted as the season goes along. And then by the end of the first season, he's in full Brainiac costume, full Brainiac garb, and then that translates over into season two. In the first season, it was... It was a lot more religious. Yes, like you the had voice of Rao. the voice of Rao, and then you had Brainiac, who he took over the voice of Rao. And for those who don't know, the voice of Rao is like the Kryptonian deity that they all worship because they believe Rao, their son, to be a god. And the voice of Rao, he's like the human vessel that is communicating what God wants the people of Krypton yep. to know. And then it was Ritson looking pretty much just like Ritson, yeah, <laughs> without the green green yeah. makeup. I'm glad that they didn't stick with that too long. They moved away from it. Yeah. And we got a true Brainiac towards the end of that first season. But then throughout season two, it's all Brainiac, but often only Segal can see him. Because he's hallucinating. I mean, well, he's really there as well. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's inhibiting... He's really, really seeing him. He's inhibiting... Um, he's inhibiting Seg's body and controlling him. Seg's fighting him. And that's so... The really in- juicy, interesting writing in season two is that that chess game, that mental chess game that's going on between the two of them that I really, really loved. And um, again, as a result of that, or as a byproduct of that, he will manifest in front of Seg. And I took me a while to distinguish whether Seg was hallucinating or whether he was really actually standing in front of him. Well, what I liked as well is that when Segel was in danger, Brainiac would take over. Would save him, yeah. Like, there's a scene where you got Segel, there's like, there's a room full of bad guys, they're all armed, mm-hmm. yet Segel... He shuts down. Brainiac takes over and takes down yeah. the whole fleet. Yeah. But then there's an interesting scene where Seg is standing on the wintry outskirts of Krypton, uh, where, uh, of Kandor, sorry, where it's, it's snow and everything. And there's like that little stronghold where all the rebels are uh, hunkered down, trying to evade or hide from Zod. And Seg's having a conversation with Brainiac. It's very clear that that's happening. And then you've got Anne you got you got the... Um, You've got the Anne's character. She's looking at him through the window, and all she's seeing is him talking to himself, then looking back at her. But in his mind, he's looking at Brainiac having a conversation with him. And Brainiac, no matter where he turns, left or right, Brainiac's there. But, it's so good. It, it is so good because yeah. it's it's his perception because mm. everything Segel sees is one hundred percent real to him. Yeah, but, but to, to uh, everybody to else. He's losing his mind. Exactly right. And that's what I loved about it. Oh, man. You know, I, I thought it would be great getting together and talking about this show. And, and it really is. But it's also like making me even more disappointed at the fact that we're going to get no more. Honestly, going into this show with that first season, 
I was watching it because it was based on my favourite comic book character. Absolutely. It's a Superman show. And as it just went on, just really fell in love with the show. And I'm really disappointed that it's going to be no no more because... Absolutely. It's, there's it's, so many... It's gut-wrenching, isn't it? There's so many good things about it. It's uh, good. The, the costumes, now. Let's talk yes. costumes. Pros and cons. Sometimes the costumes look great. And we're getting the, the house symbols on there. Mm-hmm. Other times... And I had this with the TV series Firefly. It looked like they just went shopping at Maya or yeah. David Jones. Yeah. You know, that they weren't Absolutely. actually on an alien world. Most costumes look comics accurate and on point. K, uh, the K prime examples or cases in point would be Zod, Brainiac, Doomsday, and Lobo. They all look comics accurate. You can tell that they're, they're meant to who they are, who they're meant to be. Tell you what, though, if I was the actor playing Valel, Mm-hmm. I'd be very happy the day they came to me and said, just so you know, you don't have to wear a little red cape anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, true. you know, like, he's an older fella and he's slightly round, and that particular costume design, mm. it lends itself to a particular physique. And especially when yep. they gave him a small cape as well. Yeah. If I may, I just wanted to uh, expand upon Bella a bit. I I love that he was Seg's grandfather because he does have a very grandfatherly feel to him. Um, and well, that moment where they reunited and um, on on the moon on Wegthor and they're just overjo- overjoyed and overcome with emotion to see each other again. I teared up a little bit. I was like, oh, that's so great. You know, like he's a really good actor. He's yeah. he's, he's incredible. And he, it's I suppose it speaks to your own sort of affection or relationship with your own um, grandfather, and if, especially if he's passed away, which mine has, and you miss him. That comes through, or is it apparent in their relationship? And it just gives, makes you smile, and you, you go, "Yeah, that's cool." But both of them are experiencing the same thing because the other believed that the other was dead, mm. so they're both returning to each other. Yeah, and they're overjoyed. It is a great moment. They're so, yeah, they're overjoyed that they're alive. It's so great. Then when you see them get a little tipsy in the, in the, in the season, um, the season finale, that was great. That was fun. That turn for Val's character, where he did make the decision that was going to take out the enemy mm. and he didn't want to and you know he's got that scene with Jack Sir and she's saying I've always been that person so you've never needed to Yeah, I'm not going to be that person anymore you need to do it yourself Yeah, it was such a good scene mm. the, the character so they were going to sell Jack Sir out and hand yeah. her his odd but they decided to go against it what about the the death of what we think is actually lighter because with this show where it's sort of like oh, it's they, crazy. they do their own thing and it's never really predictable. When they cut Lighter's throat and she was dead, I'm like, that's brutal. oh shit, I yeah. think that's just happened. I yeah. think that's real. That was the same. I, you really believe that that's happening. You go, shit, Lighter's, Lighter's done. She's out. She's done. Uh, but obviously not because she was cloned. But that was awesome. And that kind of speaks to what's happening in the world at the moment with all the weird stuff that's going on you know, with terrorism and stuff like that. And brutal videos get put up online, you know, beheadings and stuff like that. That sort of speaks to that because everyone in Candor is watching this on the big screen in the city and they're just, it's shocked. Like, they're visually just aghast. Like, holy crap, you know? And even Zod is wide-eyed. Like, he just slayed my mother on live TV. And even though he knew it was a clone, mm, it's still to. his mother. Yeah, yeah, but it's still his mother. So even though he knows that his true mother is still alive hooked up to Black Mercy yeah. and the best interpretation I've ever seen of Black, Black Mercy. Mercy. absolutely. Truly disturbing. Oh, it was. But, it was horrible. But he's still seen his mum die. Yeah, and, and so he still evokes her emotional yeah, response. And he wouldn't have thought they'd follow through and, and, they, actually, and they did. Yeah, they did. But Black Mercy, yeah, we've seen it before 
the Supergirl TV series, the Justice League animated series, and mm. it was the Alan Moore comic, wasn't it? Superman. Mm. Uh, what is it? For the man who has everything. Yeah. And then he was like seeing what he wanted to see, but it was the Black Mercy plant that was on his chest. Mm. But the way that they show it in this show, it's just like black, like this living entity, and it's down the throat, and it's just, just... It's just draining the life force out of the person. And then they believe that everything's true and good. And when yeah, you're in and, that and, world and you've got Segel and he's yeah. wearing the the Kryptonian outfit, yeah. he's got an S. Oh, yeah. it was it was good. because Light is under the perception that every, everything's good. She's about to get married. You know, she's having the time of her life, but she's really hooked up to Black Mercy. It's almost like a drug. But when we're working our way through the season and then it's like, Zod's never going to stop. And that's the whole thing with him as a character. Yeah. And in the comics, He's relentless. Superman's not going to kill. He's not going to kill Zod, but Zod still will never stop. So you're thinking, well, how, how are they going to find a way to stop Zod? And I guess it was looking us in the face all along. He's then going to be under the influence of Black Mercy. Yeah. That which was, I thought that was, was genius. a great reveal. And at the end, and Krypton saved, and he stood there in his Kryptonian attire, his mum, his dad. Because that gives him what he wants. He wants... The, the his ego wants uh, the 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 credit for for saving Krypton, and in his mind, when he's hooked up to Black Mercy, he gets that, and he's happy, he's satiated, he's content, so he's no longer a threat. He's even taken off the off the playing board. So the show's been cancelled, mm-hmm. but as a character, they kind of if the, even if it continued, if they wanted to, they could end Drew's odd story there. Yeah. So we've kind of got closure for one character. It's just interesting that in his ideal future, his dad was still by his side. Yeah. Because to begin with, season one, the beginning of season two, he's still on it. No, but season two was completely against his dad. But throughout season one, he still had love for his dad. It wasn't until he realised that Segel wasn't willing to do the wrong thing for the right result. Mm. And that's where he's like, I still love you, father, but I don't need you anymore. Yeah. And it was interesting for them to have that dynamic. So he's pushed Segel away. Yeah. But in the end, he still wanted his mum and dad by his he side. Because he wants the approval. And it's interesting that they hook him up to Black Mercy because that's almost more of a befitting way to remedy the Zod situation rather than just banish him to the Phantom Zone and let him languish and go he'd insane. Just, yeah, but he'd get out. He'd get out. He'd get out. <laughs> he'd get out. He'd get out. He'd find a way. But that was impressive with Lighter as a character. Like, I know... Because of the assistance of the other scientists, mm. she was able to escape. But still, the strength that she has as a character, she was able to free herself. Where in reality, she should have stayed under the influence. Yeah. But then that scientist offsider working for Zod, yeah. he was wanting to weaponize Black Mercy. And she was taking samples, running tests, and that's what weakened it. It's interesting to note, too, that at the beginning of that last episode, um, it begins with Zod saying, the next stop of conquest earth and yes. he, he puts a he sets a he plots a course to earth and then you think in your mind oh okay so at the end of episode one i'm uh, sorry at the end of episode of the last episode episode 10 of season two that's going to set up season three and you think oh they're gonna zod's gonna go to earth and the, and, and earth's gonna have to defend itself against zod that's what i that's what i thought was going to be season three but no um what we're actually seeing is just inside zod's mind hooked up to black mercy so let's talk about the end of season two then mm-hmm it ends with Brainiac and a newly christened infant Jor-El heading to Earth in what sets up a homage to Superman Red Sun. Yep. 
However, a newly released peek at what might have been reveals the third season would have also included elements reminiscent of Brightburn. Did you see that James Gunn produced movie? I didn't, but I've been, I I know about it. I've I been... really enjoyed it. It's essentially if Superman was evil. Yeah, that's what, that much I can get. I, I can glean from it. And it's even if you've just seen the trailer, you can get from that. It's very influenced by oh yeah the Man of Steel interpretation of Superman. Yeah, but showrunner Cameron Welsh, that you know, like everybody, you know, fans and uh, people working on the show alike, was very disappointed about the cancellation. Oh, but well. interestingly, he released a short script for a teaser and this was on Twitter that's where I read it mm-hmm. what the third season would have looked like detailing a young kid in Russia being bullied only to be taken by his Jonathan Kent-esque father to try and make peace with his tormentor when the boy tries to convince the bully non-violence is the way forward it becomes clear the bully is actually the superhuman he fries the bullied boy with heat vision and the father is killed by an alien tendril, leading to the shocking reveal that murder was committed by a human-looking brainiac living disguised in Russia, watching over his adopted son, Jorel. Isn't that crazy? Wow! Yeah. That's what season three was going to be. So when you get to the season one finale, they're saying, just so you know, General Zod is Superman's uncle, and the House of L is no more, only Zod. Yep. You would have got to the opening of season three and found that Jor-El is now the son of Brainiac on Earth. And Are you kidding me? Yeah, I would have been all in for that. I'd be like, sign me up, I'll take two. I mean, that that is amazing. It's <laughs> awesome. That was just the opening, that was just a page yeah. outlining the opening of the episode. And then, like, you could tell that later on in season three, had this, this had been allowed to play out, that Seg and the others would have to arrive to Earth and convince Jor-El that, hey, wait a minute, you're actually an L, and you, this is actually where your lineage is, where you come from. And, and then what happens? Segel has the power of Superman. Yeah. Oh. Under an Earth Red's... Honestly, actor Cameron Cuff, if that's where they were going, he's going to be kicking himself. Oh. Because he's going to be like working his way through season two, knowing what they're going to be doing for season three. Yeah. And it's like, as they, soon as we've got third season, I'm going to Earth, and I'm going to be flying around like Superman. They would have been privy, surely, to... You'd think. Yeah. That would have been so good. What, what a kick in the balls for fans, eh? I'm hoping... This was strategic on Welsh's part. Mm. And it's like, if he can show the world what he was looking at doing, whether it's His people in TV, fans... To adopt know, Red, adapt Red somebody. Sun. I mean, look at a show like Lucifer. That was a Fox-made show. Mm. And then the final two seasons they got picked it. up on Netflix. Yeah. Like so Netflix, are make, they've made season four and they're doing season five. And they've just made it an extended season as well. So you, you hope that Krypton can live on. You hope that a network picks it up or uh, a streaming platform picks it up. Uh, maybe even DC's own in-house streaming platform and pick it up. that's it. They've got DC Universe. And mm. Warner Brothers, or should I say Just, Warner Media, yeah. are launching HBO Max, mm-hmm. which will also host the DC Universe app. So there's so many there's avenues and you could go down easily to restore Krypton and, and revive it and, and have it have a, uh, a season three. I'm really hoping that's the case. I'm really hoping it doesn't just die. I hope we get more because it's a show with big ideas. It was. And it's taking place at a time that we're not too familiar with mm-hmm. on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's just different. Like when they, you know, announce another season of Flash, Arrow, Supergirl. We take it for granted. All these shows. Yeah, but all these shows, I'm happy that they, they get announced. But you know, although it's going to be good, it's kind of more of what you've already had. Yeah. 
Whereas Krypton, it just gives you something different. This is interesting because it's a different retelling. It's a different take. And they, and they throw curveballs. And, you know, um, you just don't know what to expect. And that's the fun of it. The writing is so juicy and so good. And that's it. Like, visually, like, the money isn't always there for the effects. Mm. But you're right on the money there. When it comes to the writing, that there's there's so much... There's drama, there's action, there's humour, there's heart. There's, all that is in the script. Twists and turns. Yeah, there's a lot to get into, and it's it's great, especially when you've got a villain in the caliber of Brainiac or even Zod, uh, where you really love watching them on screen. You really love the actor chewing up the script, the, the, the scene. I know it's not going to be a low rating <laughs> based on the conversation we've had for the per, for the past forty-five minutes. But if yeah. you're going to rate this season, not the show, but this particular season out of five, you know what? Uh, I've often been accused of being generous with my. Um, with my ratings, and I guess that's going to continue because I'm going to give it a four out of five. There's a lot to like about this show. Uh, it's, it was short-lived. It was great while it lasted. Um, hoping this isn't the end. Um, but I, it really resonated with me. It really struck a chord with me, and I just came to love it. It, it was like the little show that could, you know? And um, to me, it's I can't justify giving it any, anything less than a four. I mean, I'm not going to be completely biased and give it five out of five, so... That'd be a bit too biased, but I think because there are a few faults with it that could be fixed, and we've 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 spoken about that, you know, with the budgets, uh, with, with the money, um, with the set design. Um, I'm happy with some of the effects, not all of them, but for the most part, it's, it's it works. And yeah, I think four out of five is a good score for me. And I just have to say, there's a lot to like about this short-lived show. I really did like that first season but it was probably more problematic for me than this second. So my score is is higher for the second season than the first, mm-hmm. and there's so much that I liked about it. And, you know, we've not really talked about it, but DC Comics at the moment are doing Year of the Villain, mm-hmm. and I like how the focus of season two were the villains as well. Yeah. So whether it was intentional or not, I really liked that synergy. We're both collecting the Year of the Villain comics, so it's, it's, it's a nice synchronization if you like full disclosure we're both big dc guys yeah i'm gonna come in the same as you like four out of five and again like we've said many times already just very disappointed that potentially it ends here the cameron welsh has said that when it was reported that the lobo show i mean they announced that spin-off before the season two premiere he said the news that it's been cancelled isn't true they're still looking to shop it somewhere. So potentially, we could still get the Lobo TV series. And if they do, that's kind of going to continue this Crypto's world. legacy. And we yeah. could see Adam Strange in there. So maybe not all is lost. Mm. I'm just hoping it can be saved. I'm really hoping a new home can be found for Krypton because season three just sounds unbelievably good and too good uh, to pass up. Yeah, and you know, the person at, at Sci-Fi that obviously made the decision to pull it, they would have had access to that script. So they knew where they were going. Yeah. So whether it was a money issue, in fact, you know, I did hear that viewing figures dropped dramatically from season one to season two, which Which is a shame Yeah. because that does, for me, that doesn't reflect the quality because it got got better. It shouldn't. It shouldn't reflect quality. And honestly, if you could come to me and say, okay, you've got a choice of having, if you could say, we can renew Krypton for a third season or we can give you a Lobo spinoff. I'm going to take Krypton every oh, time. 100%. With Lobo. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Lobo. So we, we still... He, he, we doesn't, our, he doesn't need a spin-off show. We get our cake and eat it. We still get to see Lobo. But yeah, season three of Krypton, I mean, hopefully... Look how many years it took between 
Young Justice season two and three. Yeah. So we live in hope. Let's hope so. Well, that's it for our episode all about Krypton Season 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. As always, thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.